Hello, everyone, and welcome to BizLit Today, a podcast series hosted on Law.com and sponsored by Shook, Hardy, and Bacon. I'm your host, Scott Ferguson. There's no bigger buzz in the workforce than the topic of AI. How do law firms and businesses stay ahead of this new technology? In this episode of BizLit Today, Shook Partners Gary Miller and Camelia Tabone provide an AI overview on what it is, limits, and what clients need to know about the use of AI. Let's join them. Hello, my name is Gary Miller. I'm a partner at Shook, Hardy & Bacon and co-chair of Shook's business litigation practice group. And I'm speaking with you from our Chicago office. One of the most important topics in the legal and business worlds right now is artificial intelligence. And joining me to discuss tips for developing a responsible AI framework is my partner, Camila Tabone. Camila is the Director of Privacy Compliance and our AI Governance Task Force. She's a Fellow of Information Privacy. She has a bunch of privacy certifications. She writes frequently on the topic of AI and uh, is speaking to us uh, with us from Denver today. So, Camila, welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. Um, so why don't we start by just some fundamentals? What is AI? How is it being used in the business world, in the legal world? Yeah, it's interesting. If you have um, conversations with folks, you could have many different definitions of AI and what it means. Um, but I thought if we started with some basic definitions that might be generally recognized, we could sort of frame the discussion. So AI is the development of computer systems that can perform tasks that would require human intelligence. And we usually talk about AI systems, which are essentially machine-based systems that with human-defined objectives can make predictions, recommendations, and decisions. And that last part is the most important part because it's very important, I think, to emphasize that these AI systems don't really think. They're really making predictions based on parameters that, that, that the human programmers have, uh, have essentially taught them. So, for example, ways that um, AI systems could be used in business applications a really common one that we see is pre-screening job applicants. So you have your job posting that has the different qualifications and education requirements. And then the AI system reviews the resumes that come in and matches them. Most of the time, it sort of buckets it for the internal HR partner to then say, you know, this group, high level of confidence meets the qualifications, this group intermediate, and this group doesn't really meet the requirements. There are other uses of AI. Uh, medical diagnosis is pretty common. Um, it's interesting. So like if you're looking at x-rays, sometimes the AI systems are better at perceiving little differences that might be might not be perceptible to the human eye or can see patterns that um, a human wouldn't wouldn't readily see. You also see AI for processing credit applications, for fraud detection, and then also chatbots, so consumer interactions. Those are pretty um, similar in the way that they occur. And so companies have been really successful with using AI to have those initial chat conversations with chatbots and their with their customers. So looking at the legal industry, how can AI be used in particular with litigation? 
is it being used and, and are there applications in the pipeline? Yeah, I think there are several uses, particularly in litigation. I think doc review is one. So these AI systems are able to review large amounts of data, um, brief drafting. So I guess one thing I should have mentioned is we have AI and we have these AI systems and they've been around for, for quite a while, but all the buzz recently is from generative AI. So it's AI that develops new text, images, audio, video. And, and so at least in the legal application, um, the generative AI tools have been used to draft briefs. So that's another another way that it can be used. And we'll talk about the risks of that in a little bit, I'm sure. Um, there's also potential uses for research. Um, another one that that is pretty cool is, for example, in litigation, when you're drafting like cross-examination questions or deposition questions, and you have um, prior deposition testimony, you have expert reports, you have public statements that the expert may have made, the generative AI system could gather all of that information and find patterns in a much faster way than a human could and could help generate the questions that 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 the um that the attorney could use. And then another use that I've seen is predictive analytics. So with, with information on past cases and how they've gotten to resolution, uh law firms and litigants could use it to sort of determine whether their case is likely to be successful or not likely to be successful, which can affect their strategy, for example, whether they want to settle or, or whatnot. So those are some of the specific uses we've seen in the legal profession. I guess another thing I'll say is a lot of our productivity tools that we use, like our word processing documents or video conferencing documents, those companies are starting to add capabilities like virtual assistants that maybe take notes of a meeting or um, calendar things for you based on your emails, those types of things. Um, that 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 would also help the legal profession, but it's not you know specific to, to the law. So I saw, I think this was a couple of weeks ago, um, an attorney sanctioned for using AI to generate research and, and a judge not impressed with the results of that. Um, so a, a broader question than that, but obviously there's risks associated with using AI. What what are some of those those risks? Yeah, I think it's really important to understand the limitations of the tool. So I think that was probably what got these attorneys in hot water. So if you think about the way these generative AI text tools work, they're basically predicting what comes next in a sequence of words. So they're not actually searching for the right answer or the appropriate answer. It's just what they think not think because I just said these systems don't think, but what they predict based on an analysis of vast amounts of text and the correlations and the percentage of, um, you know, uh, uh, confidence that this word or this group of words would follow next from whatever this is. So anyway, all that to say is these systems can often hallucinate, right? And and it's called a hallucination because the, the system is basically making things up. It's not true. It's just what it predicts comes next in the sentence. And particularly for lawyers, if you're not checking the output, um, it can make up cases, which is what the system did. It like styled the case the way you would style a normal case. It assigned a judge name. It assigned a holding to the case. But it was just a prediction based on the information that it had been fed in the input. So I think 
understanding the limitations of the tool, what, what it can do and what it can't do. It can review large amounts of data and like spot things, correlations or, or things that, that, that you could use in your argumentation. But I think it's very difficult to rely on it to conduct legal research. Um, now, there are AI system applications that can run on a body of case law that could then be used to extract information from those cases. Um, more quickly, but generative the generative AI models that are out there for just general purpose use on your browser that are free and anybody can sign up for aren't specifically designed for a particular purpose. And so understanding that that there are those limitations, also that the training data is maybe like the, the most recent would have been like from two years ago. That's another thing to be aware of. Um, Related to that is a lack of understanding on how to use the tool. So I think with AI systems, it's really important to define why you're going to use it so that you can see if it's actually helpful for that purpose or if there's some other way to achieve that purpose that maybe doesn't involve AI. And then and then related to this point about um, these hallucinations, we're seeing at courts come up with local rules that are requiring attorneys to disclose whether they use generative AI, either in research or in brief drafting. And, and some rules I've seen require the attorney to disclose specifically which generative AI tool they use. So if they used one, the most common one that's being used right now, they would have to disclose that. And has there been any thinking around how the ethical responsibilities of attorneys are impacted by using AI? Definitely. So as, as attorneys, we have several ethical obligations that I think are raised by AI. So the first one would be competence. So we, as, as attorneys, we have to understand the limits um, and the uses of technology. And what's funny is when the this rule was modified to address technology specifically and the comment was added to the rule, it was referencing email. Um, and so now like we've just evolved so much faster than just like electronic communications tools to, to actual systems that could probably help us do our jobs more efficiently. But it's important that we understand how those tools work. Um, so for, for law firms that are looking to implement AI tools into their practice, I would definitely say, you know, they need to perform a risk assessment. They need to understand how the tool works. If it's a third-party vendor, get information from the vendor about how they validate the tool and those types of things. So competence, I think, is key. Um, the other one that's super important, I think, is confidentiality. So there have been cases in the news about companies that use these generative AI tools and input proprietary code and other proprietary information which once you put it into the system as an input, it actually gets used as training data, which means that it could end up in someone else's output. I mean, if you're just using the browser version of these tools, um, you have very little control unless you specifically opt out for your anything that you input being used to train the, the system. So confidentiality of information is super important, not disclosing client information, not using client names. Um, those, th th those types of things are super important. And then the last one that I'll, I'll mention is supervision. 
in some ways, I feel like if you're using an AI system to to aid the lawyer's decision making, you're basically like supervising someone to, to, to do your legal work. And so even though the law may not specifically refer to a technology, um, I think there's still a duty to supervise what the technology does. And I guess that goes back to the point we were making about the attorneys that got sanctioned, whatever output you get from these generative AI tools, you absolutely have to check it. And you have to check it with an independent source. So not ask the tool, where did you get this case from? But it's, you know, going to the third party um, case law providers and actually searching for the cases there and making sure that there's still good law and all that kind of stuff. So yeah, definitely, I think the attorney ethical rules are really important in how we as lawyers are going to adopt this technology. When we get back, let's talk about what businesses do to can do and should be doing to mitigate uh, the risks around AI. Shook Hardy and Bacon is a premier trial firm serving clients in the health, science, and technology sectors. We help companies resolve claims using creative solutions to complex commercial litigation matters. Shook attorneys build on decades of experience and are positioned to provide end-to-end litigation support. Welcome back. I'm Gary Miller, a partner at Shook, Hardy and & Bacon, and I'm speaking with my partner, Camila Tabone, about AI. Um, Camila, what can or should a company be doing to mitigate the risks of using AI? I think it's important to have governance tools in place and I guess one point I like to make is that there's different ways that AI can be regulated. So we talked about, for example, the lawyer's ethical obligations. There may be specific laws that apply to certain use cases, like the example that I gave of um, HR applications for AI. There's a, a New York City law that if you're going to use AI for hiring or promotion decisions, you have to notify individuals and you have to conduct bias audits to make sure that the systems aren't creating biased outcomes. So even in even if there's like no specific use case requirement or no specific legal requirement for the use of AI generally, I think it's important for a company to think about this as like part of its compliance arsenal in terms of we need to have a governance framework in place. We need to have policies in place that are going to describe how we're going to approach the use of this technology. We need to have processes in place to train our employees on the appropriate use of AI. We need to raise awareness about the potential risks of AI. And we need to have sort of decision makers that are going to help the company use these tools responsibly. So not, not a situation where folks are just going out and either getting third-party technology or you know, using these generative AI tools on their own, I think it's really important to have guardrails in place so that individuals within the organization, whether it be the law firm or a company, understand how they can use these tools um, and what are the approved tools for the organization. So definitely having um, a good governance framework will, will help with that. If you're a business, how do you deal with letting clients know their data is being used um, with an AI system? Yeah, I, I think transparency and explainability are key. It's sort of, so when we're thinking about like how we're gonna approach AI, 
most companies are taking this principles-based approach. So they're thinking about like, what are the key tenets that I'm going to follow when I'm adopting this technology? So transparency and explainability, I think definitely should be part of that. Transparency, there's, there's, there's basically two flavors. One is, do individuals know that I am using AI systems either to make decisions about them, to make predictions about them? That's sort of the like the privacy compliance piece of it. But the other one is, am I being transparent about how I'm using different tools to accomplish my objectives? So like even in the business space, there are a lot of third parties that are providing sort of metrics to companies and services that help them, you know, sort of risk score things or maybe do tasks in a in an easier way by having an AI system perform the initial task and then have a human reviewer. And so if you're going to be using those types of tools, you need to be transparent about the fact that you're using them. And then related to that is the explainability point, which is, do we understand how the outputs are generated? So if I'm going to use an AI system um, to achieve a specific objective, can I explain how it actually works? What data was it trained on? What are the parameters that it's looking for? How does it analyze those parameters and, and reach an output? And then how is that output supposed to be used? How can individuals rely on it? Um, so transparency and explainability are like two, I think, of the most important principles that organizations should be looking at. There are others that I've seen like fairness and reliability. So um, fairness is if you're going to use AI to make decisions about people, are those decisions fair and, and don't have detrimental impacts? Reliability is does the tool work for the intended objective? Related to that, you sometimes see accuracy, like how accurate is the model? Um, obviously, as we were mentioning with these generative AI tools and the potential for hallucinations, the accuracy could be much lower than if it was a specific closed loop system. I mentioned kind of like they're going to look at this specific body of cases, body of law to make a decision. That's probably going to be more, more efficient um, or more, more accurate. Um, and then other principles that I've seen, for example, accountability, like we're going to follow specific legal requirements, we're going to have procedures in place to assess um, and mitigate potential risks. So so I think in the toolbox of, of the company or the law firm, they have to think about like the different areas that are most important to them. Um, I guess for, for lawyers and law firms, I think the ethical part is really important. I think accountability is important. Transparency and explainability um, are, are, are the keys there. And final question for today anyway, um, what are some AI governance best practices people should keep in mind? Yeah, so as I mentioned before, um, the the legal landscape is can be a bit tricky because um, at least from the U.S. perspective, we've taken very much of a patchwork approach like we do with, with a lot of regulation. And so you have to look at specific use cases. So I mentioned the HR one. There may be specific laws for facial recognition use cases. So we may be seeing more of those pop up. In addition, there's a lot of interest at the federal level for AI regulation. The Senate, and particularly Senator Schumer, has been really active 
Um, there was a hearing recently uh, where some of the heads of, of some of these big technology companies were invited to testify to sort of explain what kind of regulation would make most sense. Um, Senator Schumer is going to have several um, stakeholder sessions uh, to help senators get more information about what regulation might look like. And there have been different ways that, that that's been discussed. But but definitely, I guess what I'm saying is regulation is coming. There's a lot of interest in this. Um, and so one of the things that that companies and law firms should be doing is, is tracking these um, legal developments because eventually there is going to be regulation. And I think the more companies and law firms can do now to prepare uh, for example, understanding how they use AI, so having a, an AI system inventory, understanding what legal requirements might apply, um, those types of things will set them up for compliance down the road. So I think tracking legal requirements is one thing to do. Another one is um, this is really a multi-stakeholder thing, right? So you have your data scientists, you have your engineers, but then you also have legal, privacy, information security. And so all of these teams essentially need to be working together. One thing that we have done with clients that has been very successful is set up working groups that have representatives from different groups. So even, so yeah, so data science, um, legal information security, but even within legal privacy, um, IP, uh, risk, those types of things. So definitely having a multi-stakeholder group Another thing I think that's really important is awareness. So as I mentioned at the beginning, you could have many different ways that you define AI or that you define AI systems, but it's important to understand what it means for the company and what are the potential business use cases. So we have some clients that have like a business use case committee that identifies different ways that AI could be used. And then they bring them to the AI risk committee, which is this multi-stakeholder group that assesses the risks. Um, so, so understanding like what the particular use case might be um, is, is important. Um, Another thing I think is is record keeping. So if you are going to use an AI system, it's important to document that you looked at the potential risks of the system and how the system can achieve the intended objective, but how it could also have unforeseen potential risks to individuals or or the out or the outputs that might impact individuals. Um, and then record keeping also on how the model is validated, um, how the outputs are working, if there's like additional work that's done to, to retrain the model or to improve the efficiency of the model, keeping records of all of that, I think will put companies in a good position. And then lastly, it's like a whole life cycle thing. So it's not just thinking about, oh, we have this great use case and these are the potential risks. It's like looking at the specific use case, looking at the model, which is the model that you're going to, you know, finally rely on. Um, what are the risks of using that model and how have you mitigated those risks? Then once you deploy it, um, how are you seeing it actually operate? And are there any additional mitigation measures that you have to take once it's being deployed? Um, so you have to really think about the risks all throughout the life cycle and even with decommissioning. So if you say we're no longer gonna use this AI system, well, guess what? The system has a bunch of data that it's been used to train on. It has additional data that was used as input. Um, thinking about data governance and how you're gonna delete that data. Those are all issues that you need to think about throughout the life cycle. So, so I guess my, my, my main recommendations to companies are figure out what legal requirements might apply, 
figure out how you're going to have governance uh, framework in place. Who's going to be your main stakeholder group, which is going to be from different areas within the organization? And then how can you document your, your analysis and your risk mitigation so that if an issue arises later, you're able to say, look, we looked at these issues. This is what we thought was the best mitigation measure at the time. We've evolved as we've seen this model um, be used. And so we're constantly you know, vigilant of the potential risk that could arise. Thank you. Re really interesting, Camila. I expect there's going to be significant developments in this area and a lot more to talk about going forward. Um, but thank you very much. And thank all of you for listening to the podcast. If you want more information, you can find it at our website, shb.com. Thanks. That brings us to the end of this episode of the Biz Lit Today podcast series, which can be found on law.com. I'm your host, Scott Ferguson. Join us next time. The choice of a lawyer is an important decision and should not be based solely on advertising. The views and information discussed in this podcast are for informational purposes only and are not intended to be any kind of legal advice.